it is a blessing to be here this morning. I'm thankful for the opportunity to stand before the Lord's people for a little while. Uh, my question to you would be, uh, what's in a kiss? You know, a kiss is a, a sign of affection, usually. Uh, when, uh, and it was a, it was a tradition uh, in the eastern countries to, to meet one another or to depart with a kiss. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we have that same affection here in the, in the Western civilization, don't we? We, we, we kiss those that we love, and, and we do it quite pleasantly. But what's in a kiss um, when it comes to the Scriptures? And, there, you know, we do know there was a kiss of betrayal, don't we? There was, a, there was Judas who sold the Lord out for about 30 pieces of silver, and the Lord asked him, Betrayest thou me with a kiss? Sometimes our... The kisses can be deceitful ones uh, with the intent and design of turning Christ over to the, to the mob waiting for him. Now, we don't want to kiss that way. We don't want deceitful kisses. We don't want to pretend and not have the thing, you know, not do it in the affection. Uh, <clears throat> but what is in a kiss when it comes to, uh, you know, when, when, the, when you, we teach in the scriptures and we talk about discipleship and serving God, that's based upon something. It's based upon the, the work of Christ, based upon the work of grace and salvation that God has fixed before eternity. Uh, he has uh, completed by Himself and needs no help from us. Uh, so our designs that God has placed within us are for the glory of God's name. And so when you, when you read the Bible, remember that, that anything that God commands of us is predicated or based upon what the Lord has done for us. Now, in the, uh, in the book of Psalms, the 85th Psalm, David says that mercy and truth have met together. So there's mercy, and there are the objects of God's mercy. Paul talks about them, uh, what if God, willing to show His wrath and make His power known, endures with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath, there are vessels of wrath fitted to the structure. And that, by the way, all of us would be that if not for God's mercy. That he might make known on the object, or the, he might make known on the, to the vessels of mercy that he hath afore prepared unto glory. What's he going to make known? The riches of his grace. So God not only gives us grace fully and freely on those vessels of mercy, but he makes it known to us under the gospel dispensation. We, are, we have a clear view of it, right? Which, which then again should show a favor of a kiss in a sense. I'm going to show you that later. So, so mercy and truth met together on this place outside of Jerusalem, outside its, outside its gates. You know, when, uh, when the priests were to make their offerings and they brought the offerings into the, to the temple of God, there are parts of that offering that God said, when you're done, you take the rest of this outside the camp, or in other words, outside the gate, and you burn it. <clears throat> so that what shows the waste part of it, right? The dung, the parts that God did not accept were burnt on the outside of the camp or outside the gate. Paul said to the Hebrew brethren, Jesus was crucified outside the camp. When even, not even in the gates, y'all, which is no, it's no <laughs> that does not have an indication of him, but what he bore, he bore the waste of all of us. I mean, it was the worst. Jesus Christ did not bear uh, his, his, uh, 
uh, on the cross. He did not bear your, your, your kindness and goodness. He bore your waste. So he was crucified outside the camp where, right, where uh, mercy and truth met together. And righteousness and peace kissed one another that day. The righteousness of God that was in Christ Jesus. The only thing that God would ever accept to make anybody righteous is, the, is, is Jesus Christ. That's the only offering God has ever accepted. He does not, in fact, he does not ask us to accept that offering. He offered it to himself, and God accepted it. And then then peace, that day, and righteousness kissed. There was an embracement. There was an affectionate, if you can just picture that, that God's righteousness, his holiness, because God loves righteousness and hates iniquity. And yet our iniquity, the filth, was right there. And the peace of God and that righteousness kissed that day. Now, Jesus Christ did not attempt to make peace with God. He did not attend to, uh, uh, intend to roll the dice and see if this will work out okay. He simply, as Paul said to the Colossian brethren, therefore making peace by the blood of his cross. Christ made peace that day. He made peace with God between God and all those vessels of mercy that God had afore prepared unto glory. That is an embracement and affection that God Himself worked out. That you and I, folks, were only the recipients of and have no part in helping that. That happened outside the camp by Jesus Christ. That was a kiss. That was a kiss. Now, in the second psalm, the psalmist says this. I want you to listen to the second psalm, at least part of it. And this is about Jesus Christ. Uh, but particularly, in the first of all, in the sixth verse. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Now, the king is set in Zion. Right? God said, I have set my king upon my holy hill in Zion. All right, now, Zion in the, in the scriptures is a type of the church. When you read it in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says what? You have come to Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God. This is the gospel king. This is the church now. The city of the living God to the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen, that, that's come down. That's come down to the earth. There is no closer thing you'll do on this earth than what you're doing today and what you'll do in heaven. That is worshiping God. In, in heaven, folks, we're going to do it perfectly. And down here, it's, it's, it's mixed with sin because we're still sinners. But my goodness, if God has set his king in Zion, doth not that king deserve our praises? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. And you have come to an innumerable company of angels. We have been discussing angels in our Bible study uh, in the last four weeks. You know, if the angels were at Mount, if they were out Mount Sinai, and they were, the, the Bible talks about it in three or four different places, there were tens and tens of thousands, even thousands and thousands of angels that those Israelites cannot see. They could not see with their eyes, and yet they were there with God when God was giving his law. You don't think they're not here today when we worship God. 
Paul says you've come to an innumerable company of angels. Now, if, if God could open your eyes right now and you could find out exactly what is encamped about those who are in Zion, worshiping the king of Zion, it would make you quite happy. Because the angels do what? They worship the Lord. And let all the angels of the Lord worship Him. That's what God commanded them. That's, they keep His commandments. And they're right now worshiping God with you and I. You can't see them, but they're here. Now, the, uh, <clears throat> the church of our Lord Jesus Christ is where Christ is set. It's where God set it as an object of our worship, as the object of our praise, as the object of who we sing to, as who we pray to, as worthy of our affection and, and worthy of a kiss. Now, in the 12th verse of that, la- of that chapter, last verse of the second chapter, he says, kiss the Son. So the commandment is that we show an affection because the Son and the King are the same people. God set the King. He's not your Son. He's God's Son. He is your brother. He is your Savior. He is a lot to you. He's your prophet, your priest. He is, he is your King. But He is God's only begotten Son. God says, kiss Him. So what's in, what's in a kiss? It's a sign of affection, is it not? It's, a, it, it's an endearment. Now, when I give my wife a kiss, it's with joy. When I give my children kisses. When I, listen, my kids were little. I, I just kiss all over. I, little Teddy's jaws, I, I just kiss them and kiss them and kiss them. I, listen, I, it, it's a joy to me to kiss little Teddy's jaws. <clears throat> there's, a, there's something about giving a kiss. But I am instructed to kiss the Son of God. And this based upon a kiss of righteousness and peace that God embraced together within Himself at Calvary outside the gate where my iniquity, where my waste was placed. My kissing Christ Jesus ought not to be burdensome to me. So much does God put a stock in His King. He, he ends this with a warning to us. Now, this is a warning to God's people. These are, this, this, this shows exactly if God provides the offering, then God sets the king in the kingdom, and then God commands the kiss from the people. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Is anybody here willing to make the Lord Jesus Christ angry? To make God angry? Surely not. I don't want God angry with me. God has a right to be angry with me as it is, just about just just because of the corruptions of my flesh. But if but if that kiss of righteousness and peace was for Lofton and for you, shall not the Lord Himself enjoy a, a an affection in Zion, in the church, from his people? Lest God be angry. How many, how many churches have closed their doors because people have forgotten and forsaken to give the Son a kiss? What kind of shape are we in today in America? Because most people forgive, forget to give the Son a kiss. They just deem it not that important. We talked about that last week, how, how closely tied we are 
to the Israelites and their, their downfalls in history when they were about to come into judgment, we really mimic them in a lot of ways. But personally, I can't do it. Listen, I can't serve God for you. You can't serve God for me. You cannot kiss Jesus Christ on my behalf. You give the Son a kiss, lest He be angry, and ye perish from the way, when His wrath is kindled but a little. It don't take but a little wrath of God. And I have felt that wrath, that indignation. I have felt the rod of, of God's chastening upon me. And that I do not wish to make my God angry because I neglect to give the Son a kiss. Then blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. You put your trust in this. You do what you keep God's commandment. You give the Son a kiss. It's like, and listen, it's, it's like in the book of Solomon, in the Song of Solomon, when, when the bride says, the kisses of his mouth, or no, she, she said, uh, give me the kisses of thy mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Now wine is a description there to show what it does in its properties. It cheers the heart. It gives gladness to the heart. It makes the heart merry. So the kisses of Christ does that to you spiritually. You first give the kiss, though. You draw nine to God, He'll draw nine to you. Listen, let's talk to God's children. That's not regeneration. That is your your action. Your uh, what what uh, that is your reciprocation to what God has done for you. Just like the woman who did not cease to kiss Christ's feet when she was in the house of Simon the Pharisee, who didn't even kiss his hand. The reason why she didn't see to kiss his feet because she knew she was a sinner. Simon did not think he was so bad. And Jesus called him out on the carpet, didn't he? So a little wrath was kindled against Simon the Pharisee. He, he, he discovered to him exactly what he felt about himself. It wasn't that bad. I'm not quite as bad enough as this woman who cannot cease to kiss his feet and wipe his feet with her tears, dry them with her hair, or wash his feet with her tears, dry them with her hair. Once, listen, we should never graduate from that position. That's my, that's my point in this. Do not graduate from kissing the sun. If we don't graduate from that, we'll prosper as a church. We'll have the blessings of God, and that is exactly what we need. We don't need entertainment. We don't need anything worldly and fleshly. We simply need the Son of God. Kiss Him. And let's see what happens. Come on.